Welcome to the Advanced Foundations Podcast, where you will hear life-changing truths from Terry Moore, founding pastor of Sojourn Church. Over 30 years, he has developed a series of courses to help people be disciples of Christ who make a difference. We hope you will subscribe below to receive weekly messages. Cross is the Key is a six-part series of messages that are about 25 minutes in length to help the listener get a deeper understanding of everything Jesus paid for through his death, burial, and resurrection to his heavenly throne. Welcome to Cross is the Key, session four. I hope you've enjoyed so far the first three sessions. If you've not watched them or read through the material we have available, I encourage you to do that. Also encourage you to do that not just once, but you keep going over the material. When I said in the beginning, the cross is the key. It is the key to victorious living. It's the key to really everything. Understanding what Jesus did for us through the cross is absolutely paramount for us to, to, to experience his presence and to walk in this world and to live the way God wants us to live. Um, when I talk about the cross, just to remind everybody, I'm not talking about just the crucifixion. I'm talking about everything that occurred to Jesus going through the persecution he did, the flogging that he received, obviously the cross, the crucifixion there on Calvary, the death, burial, and resurrection. So I'm not talking about just one event here. I'm talking about the everything that he went through for us. Remember 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says the message or the word of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. It does not make any sense at all that our hero would go to a cross and die. It just makes no sense at all. But for those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So we must understand that this is the message of the cross. And what I want to do in this session, I really want to talk about the victory of the cross. I'm going to go at this from different angles because it's so very important for us to realize that, that it was the greatest victory that there will ever be. I'm looking forward to the return of the Lord. I don't know when he's going to come back, but there's nothing greater than the cross. 2,000 years ago, if you're looking for something else to happen, it's already happened. The cross it changed everything. It made available everything for us, and through the cross, really, we've got life, we have abundant life, and we can live in victory. But we've got to be secure in the absolute and total victory of the cross. Because a lot of times what happens is that we, we go through life and we go through circumstances and we go through situations and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I thought Jesus won. I thought he paid for us to be free. Well, he did pay for us to be free. He paid for us, but it's not problem free. It's not where there's not problems. He, he fixed it so that we could represent him on earth. But the cross is crucial to understanding the absolute victory of the cross. Say again, the greatest victory of all time. Now, just a couple of references here to begin today. In John 12, he's talking to his disciples and he's getting he's telling them what's getting ready to happen. And he's and he's the Father speaks from heaven and says, You're, you know, he, that he is glorified in Jesus. But Jesus makes a statement here. This is chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. This is before he went to the cross. So Jesus understood that part of his assignment was to defeat the enemy. 
And the cross was going to be that instrument that God used to really defeat the enemy. This is John 16. Now, this is a little bit further over. He's explaining to them what's getting ready to happen. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father, you see me no more, and judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Very interesting because these passages are very clearly before he goes to the cross. But he understood that what his assignment was, was by going to the cross, he was going to completely defeat the enemy. So he's actually telling them beforehand. Now, one other passage, this is 1 John 3.18, uh, 3.8, I'm sorry. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, okay, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that amazing? So again, it's very clear that Jesus' is, one of his assignments was to defeat the enemy completely. Colossians 2.15, Paul is writing here, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Again, the, the picture here is of a total victory, and that's what they would do in that day and time. They would take their enemies and parade them victoriously over everything that they did. Now, this victory, his victory, you realize that it wasn't for him, it was for us. He died and went to the cross and defeated the enemy, but it was for you and it was for me. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. There is nothing that we can do to lose it. We have to receive it by faith and we've got to walk in it. But the reality is, is that we've got to see the cross as the absolute and total payment for our life and the total victory over the devil the total victory over really sin, the flesh, we're going to talk about that in these next sessions, over everything, he overcame everything. This is Colossians 1.13. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of the Son of his love. Now, let me point out a couple of words. We're going to look at this in just a moment. The word is translated the power of darkness. That word is exousia, which is actually mostly translated authority. So what Paul is saying here, he has delivered us, he's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness. We were, that's why we need to be born again, because we're in this, we're in darkness. We are lost and we cannot save ourselves. So God, Jesus, literally delivered us out of this, of darkness, and he transferred us over into the kingdom of his love, of the son of his love. Please hear, the, hear me again. This is the work that God has done. Through the cross, we have, if we believe, if we believe in what he's done, we have been taken from darkness and from the authority structure of the devil. And we're gonna look at this again in a number of passages to, to, to emphasize how free we've been, we've been set free. We've been, we were in bondage. He came and he set us free. But he didn't just set us free so we could roam. He took us and transferred us over into his kingdom. So I'm no longer under the authority structure of the enemy. 
I'm now under the authority structure of the kingdom of God. And again, if Jesus didn't win a victory, then maybe or I'm not, or I, I don't know. But if he did, which we're saying he did, this is a absolute total victory. So you need to see yourselves. I am no longer under the authority structure of the enemy. I've been delivered. And I've been transferred out of that kingdom into a new kingdom that Jesus is the head of that kingdom. His victory is sealed forever. That, that's, this is good news. It's really, really good news. In Hebrews uh, chapter 2, let me just read this uh, again, because we struggle a lot of times with the issue of death. And uh, it very clearly says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus came to defeat death too. Uh, you may say, well, we still have death. Yes, it's the last enemy that's going to be defeated. But um, it just says here that, that inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, this is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, he himself shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. I mean, and it goes on to say, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So, Again, it's clear this victory is a total, complete, absolute victory over the enemy. And that's why I keep saying that, because we've got to get it. He won completely. Uh, this is Revelation 1, 18. I am he who lives, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, this is Jesus speaking. So what he's saying is, he's saying, look, to make it sure you understand who it is. I am he who lives. He starts off with, he's alive now. Oh, by the way, he was dead, but he lives forevermore. Because he lives forevermore, we're going to look at that again, why that's so, so very important. But what he says is, look, I got the keys to death and Hades in my hand. He has it all. This is Revelations 5, 9 and 10. They sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. Where are we reigning? We're reigning on earth. See, again, the victory was designed to get us into a position so we could be restored to a relationship with Jesus so we could represent him on earth. That's not trying to get us to heaven. He's trying to get us to represent him here. He's trying to get us to release heaven here. Now, the next part I want to talk about, and take this one more step, is that we must understand this issue of authority. Now, this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we should all be very familiar with this. Jesus came and spoke to them, and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, why are we going to talk about this? Because I was praying some, I was reading this passage some years ago, and I felt in my spirit that, there was something wrong. I, I didn't understand. I felt like the Lord was trying to show me something. And I, I just, I kept reading it, reading it, go, make disciples. I mean, I grew up in church and we've, 
we've been talking about making disciples ever since I can remember. This is the great commission, they call it. And, and I kept saying, Lord, I don't understand. What are you trying to show me? He said, you've missed the most important part. The most important part is the first verse and the last verse. I go, okay, well, help me. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And what the Lord began to show me is that, you know, he never lost authority in heaven. He, he's always been in charge. God assigned to Adam the authority to represent heaven on earth. He gave Adam and Eve the authority, put them in a garden, said, tend the garden, and I want you to represent me here. Not, not disconnected from God, but with God to represent him. And so what happened is, is that we know that Adam sinned, that sin separated, and what it also did, he lost the authority to represent God on earth. Well, Jesus came as man, and he went to the cross and died our death, and in that victory of the cross, he got back the authority that the enemy had gotten from Adam. So when he says here, he says, look, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. Why this is important is because you can only do something to the degree that the person in authority over you to the degree of their authority. Uh, if you, you work for a, a boss, he tells you to do something, you can do it as long as he has the authority to tell you to do that. So your authority is always limited to the person or persons that are giving you authority to do something. God says, it's all mine. I have it all. All authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go. So we have been commissioned to go by he who has all authority. So we can certainly go. And then he said the last verse too, he goes, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he who has all authority is saying, I want you to go represent me. I want you to represent me on earth. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you always. Isn't that amazing? Now this authority, what's it given to us for? What's well, given to us to represent him? It's given for us to operate in a way that he wants us to release his will and his rule and reign on earth. This is Luke 10. Now, this is the, every disciple Jesus sent out, he gave them authority to represent him. Now, these are the 70. And he said, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in that your spirits are, that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Very interesting terminology here. What he says here, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, a clear reference to the enemy. The enemy bites and, and stings with poison. And it says that I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Now, he didn't say the enemy doesn't have power. What he's saying is, is that my authority trumps the devil's power. My authority, even though the, the devil is still roaming around like a roaring lion, he, his, his absolute authority trumps his power. So, and of course, we have power too by the power of the Spirit. That's why he said, don't leave until you're endued with power upon high. So the point is, is that it's very clear that his authority trumps anything that the devil can bring. The, this is uh, Revelations 12. 
verse 10 and 11, it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Again, the word power is translated, but the word is exousia, which is typically translated authority. So it says salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the authority literally of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. So this is what God is wanting us to recognize, is that, listen, he has all authority. He has always been in charge. And how do we exercise that authority? Well, if you'll remember last time in last session, or well, actually it's the second session, I talked about the young man stage. It says you've strong in the Lord and in the word of God, and you've overcome the wicked one. So the only way that we really live in this victory is through the word of God. It's the word that never changes. It's the word, Jesus is the word. So it's the word is the sword of our spirit, and it's the victory that we use. So you've got to live by the word of God. So why is it hard for us to walk in victory? I mean, the truth is that very clearly Jesus won the victory. He overcame the devil. He defeated the devil. Judgment. He's been judged. And everything, we've, we've looked at all that. Jesus has all authority. But here's the, here's the key thing to remember. Even though Jesus completely defeated the enemy, he didn't destroy the enemy. Uh, this is a passage in 1 Peter 5, 8, one of the very first passages that I remember God ever speaking to me. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I, I thought, okay, he's your problem, God, but not my problem. But see, the real issue is, is that even in the big scheme of things, even the devil himself serves the purposes of God. And so God is absolutely in charge. Jesus has defeated the enemy completely. All authority is in Jesus, but he didn't destroy the devil. So the devil's still here roaming around and it's causing all kinds of havoc and all kinds of problems in our lives and in the world's life. So the bottom line is, is that the enemy, what does he do? Why is it hard for us to walk in victory? Because he is a deceiver and he's a liar. Now remember John 10.10 says, the thief comes not except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life, might have it more abundant. That's the picture. The enemy is doing everything possible to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're, we're, this is what he wants to do. He wants to talk you out of the victory that Jesus has already paid for. He wants to try to get you to believe that you can't overcome, that Jesus has not overcome, that Jesus doesn't love you, that he doesn't care about you, that you're powerless to overcome and to live in victory. That's the lies from the enemy, but that's all he's trying to do. He's always trying to lie, always trying to get you to believe a lie. Because John 8 says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and truth will make you free. If the truth, which is not just black ink on white pages, it's a person. If the truth makes you free, a lie will keep you in bondage. So that's what the enemy does. He works in deception. He works messing with your mind. He's trying to get you to get offended. He's trying to get you looking at, get your eyes off Jesus. Get your eyes off the absolute and total victory of the cross. That's why I keep saying the cross is the key. When you understand that that is the absolute sign of the total victory of Jesus, you, you wait a minute, 
When I get off, I got to go back to the cross and wait, wait a minute, it's been paid for. I mean, you demonstrated love by going to the cross and dying for me. You have done everything possible to secure the victory and, of course, being raised from the dead and living forevermore. So it's so, so very important. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Because the enemy is constantly coming against us. He's constantly trying to mess with us, and we've got to have to put on the armor of God, and we have to recognize that what does he do? He messes with their mind. Now, we're going to look at this passage not only right now, but we'll look at it again in another session. Uh, Romans 8, 6. You need to become very familiar with this. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, it's just real simple. And I think sometimes we make things complicated. God says, no, it's simple. The, your mind is under your control. But if you set your mind on the things of the flesh or carnally thinking, which means on your problems and circumstances and hurts and pain and all those issues of negative issues in life, it's going to produce death. Any modern medical psychology or anything will tell you that the way that you think is going to direct your life. And this is what this is saying. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit, on the victory of the cross, on the love of the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. It's going to produce life. So the enemy knows that verse, and I'm going to tell you, he does everything possible to try to get your mind set on negative things. Picture it like this. He's trying to get you, he's trying to get you to look down and to look down at all the negative things that are going on, all the problems in life. He's trying to get you to look at all this stuff in a negative way. The bottom line is God's wanting us to realize that if we look up, and again, I'm just using this as a picture, but you think about things that, wow, think about him, think about his victory, think about the word. So the battle is in mind. Now, 2 Corinthians says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. This is verses 4 and 5. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You can't do that unless you understand how to use, it says weapons, plural. The primary weapon is the Word of God. That word and if it's prayer, that's a weapon. The worship is a weapon. A praise is a weapon. But all of it has, still has to be based on the Word. And so once you understand the power of the Word, that is your primary weapon to battle the enemy. So here's, here, let me sort of wrap this up. Here's what I'm saying. I, because of the cross, because of the absolute and total victory of the cross, we do not have to live in defeat. I'm going to say it again. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to live defeated. It doesn't mean we don't get defeated sometimes, but I don't have to live in defeat. I don't have to live in depression. I don't have to live in, in just darkness because of what Jesus did at the cross. He paid with his life to set us free. You may have been victimized. There are a lot of people who have been really hurt but you don't have to live as a victim. And why? I say that because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, and this is the prayer that Jesus, or that, that Paul had puts in here and tells us to pray this, is beginning of verse 17. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. So, again, this is what we need. We need revelation. We need to have not just information, 
but we need to have revelation of who he is and the absolute and total victory of the cross. It says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. It's just saying, Lord, turn the lights on that I can see. If you're in a dark room, you can't see very well. Turn the lights on, you can see everything. So he's just saying, look, turn the, turn the lights on, Lord. Help us to see the total victory of everything that you've done and paid for. It, may, it goes on to say that you may know the hope of his calling. You realize that he has called us for a time such as this? I'm not a mistake. I don't care if my parents planned me or didn't plan me or whatever. God did. If he plans you, he has a plan for your life. He has a good plan. That's why the prayer is that you might understand the hope of his calling for your life because he doesn't make mistakes. He has great things in store for each and every one of us. And then what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We talked about that in session three, our exchange, the inheritance that we received from Jesus by going to the cross. We've received an inheritance. It's abundance in every area, but you've got to believe it. You've got to appropriate that in your life. And then listen to verse 19. What is, and again, this is the prayer we're praying, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might, dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you, you realize what that just said? It said that we're praying that we would get this understanding that there's the exceeding greatness of his power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that didn't just raise him from the dead where he could walk around, raised him from the dead and seated him at the highest position there ever was at the right hand of the Father and put everything under his feet, everything that there ever will be, everything in heaven, everything on earth, every, it doesn't matter where it is. There is nothing that's not under his feet. And it was he was raised by the power of the Spirit. That power is available to you and to me. That's why I say we don't have to live in defeat. Uh, the, the closing prayer is again in, in Ephesians 3, verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What is that? It's the power of the Spirit. So in closing here, what I want to do, I just want to, I want to say again, the victory of the cross is an absolute and total victory, the greatest victory of all time. We just got through reading there in Ephesians. This victory is not just here on the earth. No, it's for all eternity. It's for every realm that there ever will be. Jesus is on the throne. He is the one who lives, who was dead, but he lives forevermore. And he's got the keys of death and Hades in his hand. He is in complete authority. And he has defeated the enemy and everything is under his feet. And he's saying to us, believe this victory and receive the Holy Spirit to help you to live the same manner that he lived in an overcoming way. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God will really make this so real to us. Father, we love you and bless you. We thank you for the victory of the cross. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not only just know about it, but to walk in the total victory that you paid for. 
We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you absolutely defeated the enemy and you made a public display of him, having triumphed over him. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand you have all authority in heaven and earth. You have the keys of death and Hades. It's you who died, but has been raised from the dead and lives forevermore. So help us to understand the victory is not just a, a ticket to heaven, but it's a victory for us to live here on earth. So I pray for everybody that's watching this. Help us, Lord, to, to not live in defeat. It doesn't mean we can't get defeated, but help us to not live there. Help us to live in the victory and the, the power of the cross. Help us to understand that it was for us. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you so much that you have loved us and given to us everything. And we just give you glory and honor and praise now. We hope you enjoyed this timely message. Pastor Terry and Susan Moore had a life-changing encounter with the Lord in August of 1982. They opened their home to a Bible study, which turned into a church now located in Carrollton, Texas. They have never been the same and hope that you encounter Christ in a real way. For more, connect to jterrymore.org. 